0: So today's reading is Luke 7, verse 36 to 50. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus says. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among them, Who is this this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Beth. Um, Good evening. It is so good to be with you. Uh, If you don't know me already, my name's Jack. I'm part of the team here at Christchurch, Church, and it is so good to be with you as we um, continue in our series, Come Dine With Me, um, looking at, as as Louise said earlier, looking at these interactions um, with Jesus, with other people around the dinner table, um, but before um, I dive into the passage, let's just pray together. Loving God, I thank you that you meet with us, and I pray that as we meet with you now, it is as if we are around the table with you. I, I pray that this feels like conversation and, and laughter over a, a good meal. And I pray that you would feed us this evening. Amen. Amazing. Now, I'll have to be honest. And um, when I think of the phrase "come dine with me," I don't really think about this. I more think about this and this. Um, that's a cl- that's a classic, isn't it? And this one. So if you remember her, she's called Claire. She brought um, like slabs of wood from B and M um, because she thought it would make it taste better. It obviously didn't. And um, this one, she put sausages in a trifle. Um, I don't really know why, but she did. And obviously the piece de resistance. What a sad little life, Jane. If you don't know this man, he got really cross. He opened up the envelope, found out he was last. And basically, ranted. To be honest, it's not far from Simon the Pharisee in this story. Ranted at Jane, who is there looking quite sad. Uh, At one point, he says, "You have all the grace and decorum of a reversing dump truck." Um, It's like an absolute classic. um, Come dine with me, moment. So when I think of come dine with me, I think of this stuff. But to be honest, this stuff is is point scoring and asking kind of leading questions, like, "Did you did you make the bread for your starter?" And they obviously say yes. Obviously, they didn't. Um, Like, it's asking questions. It's it's trying to get the right answers it's trying to impress people it's challenge and to be honest when we look at these interactions of Jesus around the table with different people in the gospel of Luke we kind of see the same stuff like we see the same political point scoring we see the same challenge the same um, people trying to impress um, and in and this story it's it's no different uh, when you zoom out and look at the Gospel of Luke as a whole um, there is something that I think Luke is trying to say and there's there's two points in the Gospel of Luke where he says the Son of Man came to do something. The the most famous one of those is is the Son of Man came um, to seek and save the lost that's in Luke 19. You've probably heard it. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The less famous one is, is just before this passage we've read in Luke 7 and it says the Son of Man came eating and drinking and I almost think that the mission of Jesus is the son of man came to seek and save the lost but the method that Jesus uses is he comes eating and drinking he comes around the dinner table with people he he meets with them he gets to know them that's how he comes to seek and save the lost that's Jesus he's relational he loves people now, last week, Simon talked to us about um, Jesus in the home of Levi, the tax collector. Jesus kind of went for a meal in the wrong place with the wrong people. But it's notable, I think, that this week, Jesus is in the right place with the right people. He's, he's with the Pharisees. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that Simon the Pharisee... Uh, wants to chat to Jesus, like I think we think of the Pharisees as completely antagonistic to Jesus, but they're not, he, actually they want to learn, but obviously this, this, this thing happens, and um, this, this woman enters, um, and the structure of the story, if you've got it open in your Bible, um, I, would, I would keep it open, and um, mine's flicked to the other page, so I'm going to go back, um, and to be honest, it's slightly less easy to see in this Bible. When you look at it maybe on a phone or on a computer, you see the paragraph break slightly more, and you can see there's a, there's a, there's a beautiful structure, um, and it almost weaves into the parable and then weaves back out the way it came. It's like a labyrinth. It's like concentric circles with the parable right in the middle. And the first thing that happens, obviously, is Jesus sets the scene, but then this woman enters. And actually, in the, in the original, um, Luke says, behold, a woman from that town. It's like classic storytelling. It feels like you're In a nativity play, and angels are about to like storm in. Behold, this woman comes in, and the woman's love is outpoured. That's kind of my first, like, concentric ring of this story. The woman's love is outpoured. If you have the next slide, please, Beth. It says, A woman from that town. Um, sorry, Beth, I have the next slide? Is that all right? Thank you so much. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And now, you may think that just her being an unwelcome guest was is the problem. Like, this is a, this is a private event, the doors are closed. But... Actually, most of these events weren't private. They were public. The doors were open. People were encouraged to come and listen to the rabbis speaking. They were encouraged to come and learn. Um, Imagine the story of um, where Jesus is teaching in a house and the um, friends bring their man, the friends bring their man, the friends bring a friend who um, needs to be healed and they can't get in because there's so many people clambering to get get in. Um, And so they have to climb onto the roof and make a hole and drop the man down through the ceiling. That's, That's the same thing. That's the rabbi teaching and people crowding in. So her being there isn't the problem. The, the problem is it's her. The, the problem is that it's her that's there. It's so a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. She, it, it, she was notorious in that place. And she comes... Prepared with an alabaster jar of perfume, a really expensive jar. Now, it's notable that um, there's a story in the other Gospels um, in Matthew and Mark and John where a woman pours oil, a perfume, over Jesus' feet from an alabaster jar. This is a different story completely, just to kind of separate them. This is in a different place, we think, a different woman. But she comes prepared with this really expensive jar. And to be honest, we think that she maybe was at that point, that time where Jesus proclaims forgiveness over the man who comes down from the ceiling. She's seen this this guy say that forgiveness is possible, say that actually he has the power and authority to forgive sins. And she's like, oh my goodness, that is what I need. And so she, she hears he's somewhere else and she comes prepared. And I just think what must be in her? What must she be carrying? What must she be holding to to do that, to, to know that need. You know, it says Jesus came to seek and save the lost. She must have known that she was lost. She must have known that she needed to be found because she comes prepared, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she kind of wiped them with her hair. She was like, it's like a bit, a bit embarrassing. And then and then she pours the perfume on. It, it's it's like a massive social faux pas as she comes into this space, but it's a beautiful act of love. She almost, like, these emotions pour out of her. She's unable to speak. She says nothing in this whole time. And it's almost like she, has, she knows this weight can be lifted that she's been carrying. I um, always, like, weep, maybe embarrassingly, at videos online um, where people... Um, either see relatives for a long after a long time like they've come back from the military or um, there's one where somebody gives um, those glasses for people who are colorblind and they can suddenly see or when like toddlers get their hearing aids for the first time and they can hear their mum's voice and like like I just unashamedly just like <laughs> sit in my lounge and cry at these videos um, because it's like a release like there's there's an emotion there's a um and uplifting. And and this woman can see that this is possible. This woman can see that this weight can be lifted off of her, that she's been carrying this guilt and this shame and this hurt. And I think if she could speak, which she can't, she would just be saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're able to do this. Thank you that you could even offer this to me. And I think the the words thank you are maybe the most simple but most powerful prayer that we can utter. I used to live in the centre of town, um, and I lived, my bedroom was in um, a loft conversion, so it was really, really hot in the summer and really, really, really cold in the winter. Like, it would be freezing tonight if I was still living there. Um, and I remember one night kind of, like, getting in my bed and snuggling, snuggling in with my duvet, um, and eventually, after maybe five minutes, getting myself warm. And I just, out loud, for no reason, without thinking, it just kind of, came out of me, just said, thank you, God, that I'm warm. And then immediately, again, embarrassingly, just burst into tears. Like, I just suddenly realised that there was, that this was a need that I'd never ex- kind of experienced before, and there were people who were still cold. And, like, this is, this is like, the tiniest thing. Like, I suddenly realised that I had a tiny need that God had fulfilled. And there were people in Winchester, even homeless people in Winchester, who were cold, and i wasn't and god had allowed that and it was it it felt like and i still think it maybe was the most deep prayer that i've ever prayed thank you god that i'm warm <laughs> like i've prayed quite a lot of prayers but that still kind of trumps it i just think that's what the woman would be saying because she knows that she's lost and she knows that jesus came to seek and save the lost And Simon is obviously horrified um, at what is happening because they're meant meant to be having their dinner. Uh, And so he makes a judgment. Uh, And actually, he makes the wrong judgment. Um, And it says he said to himself, um, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And it's a logical statement in many ways. He he makes a logical kind of set of thoughts, um, but his judgment is wrong. He, he makes he makes the wrong judgment because of his kind of maybe three or four kind of thoughts in there. One of them is glaringly wrong, and he can't see it. It's a bit like when you um, put something into Excel. Um, I love a spreadsheet, and when some, oh no, I'm really cool, and when um, it comes up with the error message, it's not usually Excel's fault. Like, it's usually, like, I think we like to think it is, but it's usually my fault. Like, the input determines the output. And he, he's got his output, which is, Jesus is not a prophet. But it's because the input's wrong. And I think he makes three kind of claims. The first is he says, well, okay, maybe Jesus is a prophet. Like, for, this, for the purpose of this argument, Jesus is a prophet. The second is that a prophet would know people's true nature. And the third is that a prophet would stay away from sinners. Because that's kind of how Pharisees work. Like It's separation. Like I keep myself holy and clean by staying away from the unclean because the unclean would contaminate me. And so he crosses out hypothesis number one. He's like, Jesus cannot be a prophet. That's not the case. But he exposes here that the woman knows him better than he does. The woman knows Jesus better than he does because the woman knows that Jesus is a friend of sinners, Jesus is a prophet, and a prophet would know people's true natures, and Jesus is about to completely unveil that. But actually, Jesus wouldn't stay away from sinners. He came to seek and save the lost, a friend of sinners. And so we get to the the centre of the story. We've had the woman's love outpoured, uh, Simon's judgment um, is wrong, um, and then... We get to the crux, and Jesus, it's like classic Jesus. He's like, how am I going to do this? What shall I do? I'll tell you a story. Like, he gets his big book out, like he loves it. It's, it's completely, like, obvious Jesus. And, and he tells this story. He says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. No prizes for guessing who that might be. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both Now, Which of them will love him more? Like, he he asked the question. Like, I just love Jesus. He's so obviously, like, pointing the finger at Simon here. Um, I recently was in a conversation about student debt um, and, like, student finance, and I thought, you know what? Really good idea... I'll have a look at how much student debt I have. I've never looked before. Um, I've never, I've ne- I, I, like, I don't have no idea what the number is, so I'll just have a little look. It's probably a good idea to be financially responsible to know how much student debt I have. It's not a good idea. Just don't. Like, never, ever look at that number, because it's not real anyway. But if that, if that number was real debt, because I know it's not really real. I mean, it is real, but it's not real. Um, if that was real debt, I would be like weeping and sweating constantly and like nervous weeing like everything would be happening at once like it would be awful Um, and that's nowhere near what this debt would have felt like because this this debt would have had a consequence It's, it's obvious to us when we look at it and it's obvious to Simon in his logical way that one debt is that much and one debt is that much but both are unable to pay the money so both bear the same consequence Both are unable to pay, so both bear the same consequence. And the moneylender says, no, 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 I'm cancelling that debt. It's gone. I'll take the price, I'll take the cost, the consequence that was on you will come on me. And Jesus says, well, which of the two debtors will respond to the moneylender more? And Simon then makes a right judgment. We're starting to spiral out of this story, and to be honest, it's like it's like no points to Simon. Like it's an obvious, it's a an good obvious answer. Like you know, he, he says, um, "I suppose." Like it's very question time, isn't it? Like "Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, like like obvious, Bill,, like no points, is the Pope Catholic. Is sausages and a trifle a bad idea? Like it's not like it's not hard." But Simon makes the right judgment. And then we come to the full circle of our labyrinth, and the woman's love is honored. How it was it was outpoured at the start. Simon makes a judgment, Jesus tells a story, Simon makes another judgment, and the woman's love is honored in this big pivot. Jesus like absolutely turns the whole thing upside down. Again, it's absolutely classic Jesus. Because this is crucial. He says, Do you see this woman? And I think he's really pointing on the you. like He's like, Simon, do you see this woman? Because before, Simon was like, Jesus doesn't even know anything about it. like, no, do you see this woman? And when I say, do you see this woman? I mean the woman, not the sin, not the social stuff that's around her, not the stigma that might be surrounding whatever she's done wrong. Do you see this woman? And then he, he flip, flips it all up on his head again, because the roles that everyone's meant to be playing in the story get completely switched around. Imagine like A-level GCSE English, where you have your different characters in your story and they, they play the different parts. Jesus is like, no, look what's happening here. Because the woman was the antagonist and the intruder, and Simon was the host, and Jesus is the guest. Jesus remains the guest, but suddenly the woman is the host and Simon is the antagonist in the intruder because Simon did not give me any water for my feet, but she, the woman, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. The woman is now the host and Simon is the antagonist who's made the social blunder of not greeting, si- of not greeting Jesus in the right way. Like the woman's social faux pas has been completely forgotten about because now that all eyes are on Simon the Pharisee, who, who has made the biggest mistake. And then Jesus says, therefore, sorry, Beth, we're back one. Um, Sorry, but yeah, thank you. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. He's still talking to Simon. So he's still aside. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Like, this is all to a side. And when he says, as her great love is shown, it's not because of her great love she has been forgiven. It's because she has been forgiven, she has responded in this way. But after doing that, Jesus turns to the woman, and he says, to her, your sins have been forgiven, and obviously the people aren't a massive fan of that, and then he says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Now, she obviously already knows this, because she's responded in this way, and we already know this, because he said it to Simon, but he makes a point of publicly declaring forgiveness over her, because I think at the beginning, it's made such a fuss that her sin was public, She was a notorious sinner, a woman from that town. Everybody knew what she was doing. We don't, but they did. And so this circle, Beth, if we go to the next slide, is is almost like surrounded. This public sin at the beginning is then mirrored beautifully by the public forgiveness of Jesus. Like that is the kindness of Jesus as he chooses, as he chooses to say to her in front of everybody, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He is able to do that. He is the one who can cancel the debt. And that is why I think Jesus telling the story is in the middle of this um, concentric ring, the middle of the narrative. Because we all know, hopefully, or we might have guessed, who the moneylender is in this story. And I think it's interesting that the question that is asked is, which of the two debtors would love the moneylender most? But, but another question we could ask is, which of the two debtors did the moneylender love the most? And if you think about it logically, you'd think, well, probably the one he gave the more money to. But I actually don't think that's right. I think the moneylender loves both debtors equally because all the moneylender wants to do is for them to be restored to him. He wants the debt cancelled, he wants the relationship restored, he wants whatever business that was to be over. And he will go 50 denarii one way and 500 another way and 5,000 another way and 50,000 another way to restore them to him. The moneylender loves them equally and would do what he needs to do to restore and redeem their relationship with him. And we know that that is, is true of Jesus himself. That that is obviously who he's alluding to. That he is the one who would die for those who have sinned little and sinned much because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are unable to pay their own debt. It's like me trying to perform heart surgery on myself. It's just not possible. I need someone else to do that for me. It's like Jesus turns to Simon and says... You don't, you don't see the woman, you saw her sin, and you respond in judgment. And then he points to the woman and he says, look, the woman can only see her sin, and she responds in gratitude. Simon can only see the sin of her and not himself. The woman got the heart right because she got the start right. She got the heart right because she got the start right. And that start is acknowledging that she's lost acknowledging that there's a need, acknowledging that she needs Jesus. And Simon the Pharisee got the heart wrong. He responded in the wrong way because he got the start wrong. He was just looking at someone else. He didn't notice his own sin. And I don't know where you're at, whether you feel more like the woman who is carrying loads of guilt and shame whether you're struggling with something or something's happened and you're holding that and you don't know if Jesus can do anything about it. You might be like the woman who is in the middle of it and is pouring out because actually you know Jesus can do something and you're like mid-gratitude. You might be standing in the corner like Simon going, I don't really want to think about me. I'd rather think about all these other people. I'd rather talk about something else than this. Avoiding the subject probably because it's easier but also because I don't even think he noticed and if I'm honest I think I'm probably more like Simon at the moment not as in looking at other people but just not responding with my heart right to Jesus because I first responded to Jesus so long ago that the grace of Jesus isn't shiny and new anymore we're reading um, Romans with the students at our weekly Bible study and the first few weeks were quite heavy. Anybody who was there are like, yeah, it was quite heavy because it talks about the fallen nature of humanity and and the sin of the world and it's like listing all this stuff um, about the problem of the human heart. And the reason that's heavy is because we're reading a chapter on its own which is diagnosis without the cure. It's the sin without the saviour. But we know how that story is going to end as we read that and so we have to pay attention to it. And so if we want to get the heart right, we have to get the start right. And that might be painful and it might hurt and it might mean a missing stuff about ourselves that we don't like. But we have to get the start right because the start impacts the end. And if we start right, we end in glory. We end in glory. We're going to sing in a minute. But I, I feel like we need to give an opportunity for all of us, including myself, to get our hearts right. It might not feel like you would barge into a room that Jesus was in and pour your heart and soul out emotionally and, and give something really expensive to have time with him. It, it might not feel like that. It might not feel like you'd even bother the journey because you're like, well, I know him vaguely. To get the heart right, we need to get the start right. So that comes in us saying... Jesus, we're lost, and we acknowledge that you are the one who seeks and saves the lost. Um, So as we sing, I'm I'm going to invite us, and we would normally go and just pray in the corner, um, but this isn't the kind of thing where you go and pray with someone and they pray, you know, a a prayer over it. This is is kind of business with God, and and maybe business on, on your own. And so as we sing this next song, I'd love to invite you, if you want to get your heart right with Jesus by almost looking back to the start and acknowledging that you've done stuff wrong and you need him. You need him to take the weight, to make the way. Then I'd love to invite you to just come and kneel. And if we don't have space, um, like, find space. And if it's just me, that's fine. Um, But if you feel like you want to create that space now to say to God, actually, I'm sorry, I, I, I need you more than anything else. And I, and I want to have my heart right with you. I want my heart to respond in the same way as that woman's. Then I'd, I'd love to invite you to just come and, and kneel at the front and spend some time with Jesus for as long or as little as you need at the foot of the cross, thanking him for what he's done. Shall we stand? And I'm going to just pray over us. Father God, I thank you that you are a good God. You are the the moneylender who cancels the debt. And I thank you that you paid the debt of our sin on the cross. You took our place. You took our punishment. And Father, for those of us for whom that's a new concept, I pray that that would sink deep into us and we would respond in gratitude that we get this eternal life. For those of us for whom that shine has worn off, I pray that it would be refreshed this evening, that we'd get the the start right. And I pray that the grace that comes through Jesus would be poured out upon us this evening, that he can say to us, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, if there is something specific that you would like prayer for, apart from this stuff, um, or even this stuff, and you just like to chat with somebody, um, as always, there'll be a few people in the corner who would love to pray. If there's a, a specific thing that's weighing you down, if there's a specific hardship or hurt that you just need to externally process, please do come and pray. But if not, we're going to sing, and, and please do come and kneel and use this time to get your heart right with God. Amen.